Welcome to the Desperate for Hope podcast, conversations about suffering with Vinitha, the show where we're honest about the realities of suffering while staying anchored in the goodness of God. I'm Vinitha Reisner, and thank you for joining me and my guests who are well acquainted with suffering, but have found their hope in God in the midst of their pain. I am so excited today to have my guest, Dave and Gloria Furman. I met Gloria several years ago at Gospel Coalition, and she wrote probably my favorite endorsement I've ever gotten on my first book. So I remember reading it thinking, oh my word, wow, Gloria said that? This has got to be a good book. So that was wonderful. And just have read your book, Dave, Kiss the Wave, which was really wonderful. And so I have been looking forward to this conversation a lot. You both have so much wisdom. Gloria's written a bunch of books. You've written books. And just watching you live missionally has been a real joy for me. I get Dave's emails about their ministry and They are ministering in a hard place, and just recently, a friend of yours was diagnosed with cancer, and I've been praying about that, and I'm sure just this is hard, serving God and realizing that suffering is intertwined with that. So I've I've been thinking a lot about that. As we get started, maybe just tell our listeners just where you live, a little bit about what you do, and then I'd love for you to maybe jump into your story. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate it, and it really benefited by your writings. I know that Gloria meant everything she said or wrote in that endorsement. And so, uh, yeah, it's just great to be with you today. So we have been married for over 20 years now. And really from the very beginning of marriage, had a had an eye towards the nations and didn't know where God would have us. But in God's sovereignty, through a number of trips and just through layovers, he directed us to the Arabian Peninsula. And so We serve in ministry here in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, where I serve as one of the pastors at Redeemer Church of Dubai, which just hit its 13th anniversary. But along the way, our path, this path in God's sovereignty and kindness, we've walked through paths of suffering. And that's included times of depression, discouragement, but really got kicked off maybe year three of marriage. Is that about right? Year three or year four of marriage when the nerves in my hands and arms stopped working, first in my right hand, then in my left hand. And that led us down a path of a number of surgeries, a number of procedures. We had had double arm surgery four months before we moved to the Middle East. And we thought that that was going to, that was going to bring healing. So we had lots of hope and we were, we were desperate for hope. We were praying that that would do it. We moved here one month in to moving to the Middle East our world just came crashing down. I don't know if you want to pick it up from there. Just what it was like. I guess October, it was the holy month of Ramadan here. And yeah, my arms stopped working. Yeah. Dave's arms went downhill as, as difficult as it was to watch. He had been making so much progress in physical therapy and in occupational therapy. He was able to do some things that he hadn't done for a long time. And then... It was, it's almost as though one night everything just fell apart. And from then on, it was a a spiral of Dave having lots more pain than before, even way more pain than before surgery and less abilities than before surgery and less encouragement, less hope, less optimism. And to complicate all of those things, we were in a new country, new culture, new work, lots of unknowns. And yeah, those were really dark times. 
Dave, you beautifully talk about that in your book, Kiss the Wave. And I just want to read a little excerpt that just really hit me and just love to, you know, just have you tell us more about the time. But you say in the book, I remember those dark nights of the soul when we first moved to the Middle East. There in the village, our whole world was falling apart. I hated my life. Lightning bolts of pain, of nerve pain, made it feel like the bones in my arms were on fire. At times, I would sit on the couch and just stare off into nothing for hours on end. I wanted to give up. It felt like each day did further destruction to my soul, and my faith was hanging on by a thread. But it was there. Maybe just tell me about that day, that time, and, you know, when did that feeling change? Well, it's emotional even hearing those words, huh? <laughs> Taking aback just hearing those words, and I guess wrote them several years ago and experienced them almost 15 years ago. Yeah, we, we were living in a village at the time in a nearby country, and we, in a sense, had this thought that the Lord was going to use us to change the world or change the area. And I, I wanted to change the world, but I couldn't even change my clothes without, without help. And I do remember those days sitting on that couch. We were in somebody else's furniture. We were staying in there. They left, and we, we, we rented out their home for several months in this village. We were the only Westerners there in that part of the, the city and just going through cultural acclimation, among other, other issues. But yeah, I was driving in a parking lot one day, and that's kind of when the moment started when my arms just kind of went, went out. And I remember some of those nights just pacing sometimes for hours during the night, uh, ran out of medication that had been somewhat helpful. And yeah, I just remember thinking to myself, maybe a hundred times in a, in a day or more, just I wish I was dead, I wish I was dead, or I wish I didn't have arms. The burning was so high and the stress was so high. Like it was a, it was a dark, dark, dark time, I think. Yeah, um, I, I remember feeling thankful that Dave wasn't physically able to open the door and run away. I could see he was in that much agony and was desperate in, in so much pain. I remember feeling thankful that, well, at least he can't open the front door and leave. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> um, sad hope, Which but... is a really, and, and then when the thought happened, I, I realized like that's, that's a really dark thankfulness. Yeah. Um, thankfully, we had some dear friends who were here with us who were very helpful in normalizing suffering as part of the Christian life and normalizing suffering as part of God's plan to reach the nations and reminded us of scripture that normalizes all of those things. Jesus' words to his disciples about suffering and how to expect it and reminders like in James, don't be surprised when you meet with fiery trials and encouragements from, from Paul that all of your suffering is, is not even worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory. So they, they were really our lifeline. And for me personally, a little book called Gospel Primer for Christians by Milton Vincent, which he says that God's forcing our suffering and pain to do good to us. So mm. that really mm. helped open up to me a, a spirit-driven imagination that God could use this. And he mm. hasn't abandoned us and he hasn't left us here to destroy us. Mm, that and, that was really helpful. When you said that about destroy us, that's what it felt at times. It felt like, did God just bring us here to destroy us? And we, we knew that wasn't the case intellectually, but it felt like that. And I think, you know, you said that I'd written faith barely hanging on like a thread. I'm so thankful that it's not the strength of our faith that saves us, but the object of our faith that saves us. I think even this last couple of weeks in a sermon, just it's it's not 
how great we feel that day. It's not how strong we feel or even just how strong that our faith and our belief is or how unwavering it is. It's the object of our faith. It's Jesus dying on the cross, rising from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered our pain. He conquered death. And it's that that object, it's that, it's that person, it's that God man who who saves us. And so we just, we praise God for, for carrying us through uh, that mm. time. Yeah. I was just reading, I've just finished reading the Pentateuch and just remembering when the Israelites said to, to Moses and to God, like, you know, have you brought us into the wilderness to kill mm. us? And that's sort of the feeling we have, like, have you brought us here to kill us? And God, you know, later says, I, I did that to do you good in the end, but in the middle of it, it feels like God is trying to kill us. So, yeah, I just, yeah, appreciate, you know, your friends who could remind you of truth. And Dave, you said a few times a day, you thought, I, I just want to die. Like, talk to me about that, like depression and, and how, what do you do when you feel that way? Wow. Well, I think, yeah, thanks for asking that question. I think it's so important for us to, to just realize that Christians can get depressed. The Christians can struggle with depression. Christians who are walking with God can struggle mm-hmm. with depression. Pastors people in ministry, just Christians can, can struggle. And it, it might mean that you're being unfaithful in some area, but it's not the barometer for your spiritual health per se. And so that's one thing I'd like to say, if you're you know watching this, listening to this, and you're struggling with depression, like there is hope. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one thought is just, it's, it's kind of been something that's since those initial days, I think in the, in the beginning, it's, it's as if the clouds would just would not part. Since then, there's been a cloud every once in a while, but I've seen blue skies by God's grace. And what I'd say to someone struggling or even looking back at my own experience was that God would have to deliver me. And so mm-hmm. thankful for prayers, thankful for the Psalms that are so honest. You know, we have Psalms like Psalm 88 that just, just doesn't look like any hope except for the very fact that he's praying and crying out to God or Psalm 42. I love the Psalm there that I think Martin Lloyd-Jones in Spiritual Depression talks about, you know, talking to yourself and not listening to yourself. It's a little bit about the gospel primer as well. It kind of picks up on that that theme of in that Psalm 42, the psalmist is arguing with himself, right? And he says, you know, all these dark things are happening, but I think it's verse five, maybe verse 11 as well. But the repeated refrain, hope in God, hope in God. And, and I think that's part of those, those days of just, you know, even it felt like my faith was weak. It felt like it was frail. To hope in God, to realize that, hey, this is even a Christian experience in a fallen world. I think to have friends and really Gloria, just incredibly patient. And so just as a spouse to, to love me, to care for me, to not blame me for this and to, to serve me as really a Christ-like figure in my life. So lots of things in that, in that time, but ultimately it was God who I think one day parted those clouds and delivered me from it. Wow. Well, Gloria, I'd love to hear, even as in depression, like how were you supportive of Dave? Like, what would you say to people who have a spouse that's depressed and struggling? Like, what's the best way to minister to them? Or what's one way? Yeah, I think one thing that really helped us in particular in our marriage was an open invitation for each other to get help. Mm -hmm. That's always been a welcome thing from Dave. Like he says things like, Hey, if you want to talk to somebody, please, you know, share, like be open and mm-hmm. we'll go together. <laughs> so when we were talking with our friends, it was with great transparency between the two of us and with our friends about those things. So I, I was never really alone. I feel like I had to carry any burden by myself because they were there. 
my, mm-hmm. my there and, and Dave was there with me in that he recognized right away how much his pain and suffering affected me and our daughter at the same time. And he would urge me to talk to my friends, pray and get prayer requests and share them. And that was, I mean, that's kind of been how we function mm-hmm. together. And then, and then with friends too, just that kind of the transparency when we need help, there's an openness to go get it. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Cause I think with depression or those things, sometimes people the whole family pulls inward and it's great when you're willing to just be transparent because the Holy Spirit lives in us. I don't think we need to be ashamed of those things, but I feel like sometimes in Christian circles, you have to feel like everything is great for you to be trusting God. And that is so not the case. So yeah, I appreciate that. And and what did you do for Dave or what did you say to Dave when he was struggling with depression? There's a, a fantastic one-liner quote from well, he's got lots of great quotes. Our professor from seminary, Dr. Jim Allman, who shares from the bottom of his heart uh, testimonies of God's faithfulness and kindness about his faithfulness in the past as a model and a promise for his faithfulness to you in the future. Truth like that, which was mm-hmm. still fresh in our minds from having graduated seminary a few years before that. And another one from Dr. Allman that, that God has not brought you here anywhere to destroy you but to do you good and to make yourself famous. And those anchoring mm-hmm. truths, I would say to Dave and myself, <laughs> talking to myself at the same time, because yeah. we needed the same thing. Yeah, And I think along with that, there's just, Gloria was very intentional with her words and also intentional with her, with her silence, just being with me, mm-hmm not blaming me and just staying beside me. I think it's real important. We see Job's friends. Job's friends were amazing to Job those first seven days. You know, they were amazing to Job until they opened their mouths, right? They sat with them for those seven days. When they opened their mouths, they started saying some unhelpful things. Gloria didn't say unhelpful things, but what she did also do is she sat with me, you know, we whatever, we'd be eating together, going places, and she'd just be so patient and so so slow to speak and just be there with me. And I think me being able to watch her faithfulness, because when one person suffers, and you, you know this, when one person suffers, uh, it, it affects every single person around them. And of course, those who are closest the most, whether it's spouse, kids, extended family, friends, the church, people have to help me in different ways and live with me and <laughs> And in different times, whether it was depression or other just nerve pain. And so I think Gloria's intentional speaking up gospel words, but then also just her being my friend and and, and at times being quiet was really, really helpful too. Mm. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Encouragement. I think a lot of us who struggle with pain deal with depression and it's really wonderful to hear words of how somebody can walk with us. I, I do think yeah, just silence, sitting there praying is such a gift. And I think kind of to your words, sometimes we forget that saying nothing is often the most powerful thing and we want to fill it with words, which I do too much. Well, Dave, your disability causes a huge dependence as we talked about, you know, Gloria said you couldn't open the door and run away. Like, what has that been like for you? And how has depending on others maybe helped you depend on God more? I still can't open the front door uh, even today. So there's no happy ending in terms of, you know, I'm not not strong now. I'm not healed. Mm -hmm. A dozen procedures, five or six surgeries. So about 18 times, you know, trying to do something plus other treatments. And, you know, in some ways I'm a little better. Many ways, most ways I'm just weaker now even. 
and so still need help getting dressed, need help putting on my seatbelt, can't drive, can't open yeah, even the car door. So really I've been pretty pretty consistently both weak and struggling with pain. And so it's been a long, it's been a long 17 year journey, both for, for Gloria having to support and, and care for me and the kids in ways that not every mom or wife has to. And then for me, yeah, I think being dependent. So in some ways I'd like to say, oh, I've learned how to be dependent now on other people and it's easy to ask for help. And in some ways it's easier. In some ways it's still just hard, whether it's my pride or whether it's my self-sufficiency. So today I'm trying to think we had an elder meeting we had a, a staff development kind of training and I had a couple other meetings with people. And even then just to get a cup of water, you know, it was dependent on asking one of our elders to pour me water or even the food we were eating. We were eating a Middle Eastern food and I, I couldn't, you know, cut it on my own. So a fellow elder needed to cut that or even going to the, to the restroom. I couldn't close and open the door. And so just even today, just thinking through the various things I needed help with just to get through the day. And I think it is, I think there are, there are challenges with it. It's humbling to ask for help. I think, you know, the, the joke about the, the, the person doesn't want to ask for directions when they're lost driving. It's true. It's hard to ask for help. And I think you, you, you hit it. I do think it has helped me and maybe both of us to depend on the Lord for all things. So we came here to change the world. We came here to plant this church, to hopefully plant churches that plant churches. And what we found out instead is God was going to build this church upon Jesus. And we were going to be a very small part of that. And he would use us. And it's really the story of the Bible. So it's weakness is the way. I think J.I. Packer's words, weakness is the way. So God gets all the glory. We came here to plant this church and plant churches. And instead, we saw really what the Bible shows. Joseph, you know, thrown and discarded. We see Moses, the stutterer, used by God. We see David against Goliath. We see Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. Blow some trumpets, walk around the city walls. And I'm going to give you the city. You're not even going to fight. And then and Paul thorn in the flesh, weak. And obviously we, we see his CV or his resume of suffering in his Corinthian letters. And then Jesus himself, God become, became man. And so the story of the Bible is one story of weakness so that God gets all the glory. And so I think God just humbled us and showed us that every good that happens and has happened is because of, of God and because of his power and his strength through his spirit. And so, yeah, we've, we've had to be dependent on God really for the big picture. And then even just daily, just yeah wake us up to get us through another day, another sermon. You know, those early days were so hard. Just getting through the week was a challenge. But great, great question. I think all of it has helped. And yet it's still it's still a battle. I wish we've I wish we'd get an A plus on dependency on God. Um, but I need it even just even right now, tonight after today. So Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Cause it is sometimes we hear from people where suffering is sort of past and they say, Wow, God delivered me. But you know, to talk about suffering in the present is a very difficult and different thing. And I struggle with not nearly to the degree you do, but with my arms are super weak and eventually I um, may be a quadriplegic. So I can't do things that people can't tell that I can't do. And so when I'm in a new situation, I'm totally like, hey, can you pour me the water? Like I I just, you know, I shouldn't be necessarily ashamed about it, but that brings a degree of shame. Like, hey, I can't cut my food. So if I go somewhere and my husband's not there, I'm kind of like stumped on what to do at first. And it's... You know, you'd think I'd be used to it also, but every single time it's like, ah, do I want to ask? What should I say? Do I need to explain? And so it is one of those daily sort of dependence. Exactly. And when you're not, when when they can't see it, it Mm -hmm. becomes, you know, that awkward ask and the first thing that you have to sort of talk about with somebody. And so then you get into the health and and then you feel like that's your identity and it's a challenge. And so I have all kinds of crazy stories of me trying to use my feet to try to open up 
bottles of water or <laughs> trying to do whatever I can. I think that looks even sillier than just asking for help. <laughs> but yeah, I, I still, okay, well, I, I want to be able to do it on my own. And, and I think I think it's a constant battle. I think we all, you know, sort of the American way is independence. You know, we want to do it ourselves. And yet God keeps calling us back to dependence. But, you know, the, like the story of the widow of Zarephath, I think that's a wonderful story, but I hated it. My friends prayed it for me. Like God would provide for you every day. And I'm like, I don't want to go back to that jar and not know how much there is. I I want to go to Sam's Club and have everything in my pantry. And, you know, just the day-to-day is, is hard, but certainly helps us see God. So, well, Gloria, I would love to know from you, because of Dave's dependence on you, I'm sure there's joy in that, being able to serve him and be there for him and do this ministry together. And then at times there's like, wow, this is a lot for me. How how have you made it through that? And what would you say to someone who is kind of caring for someone and feeling that it's a lot for them? Wow. Yeah, I, I've had ups and downs struggling through that over the years. It's kind of like a cycle of, of thoughts about what could we do if Dave mm. could function by himself? What could I do if Dave could function by himself? What could I do if Dave could help me with certain things? And those thoughts never really turn out or land in, in the best place. <laughs> Instead, starting with permanent circumstances, like God is sovereign. And God has created Dave. God brought Dave and I together. God gave us these children. God is the one who brought us to this place. God is the one who has uh, put this ministry in front of us. God is the one who has drawn the boundaries of our strengths and our weaknesses. And he's the one who provides opportunities. He's the one who provides the strength to do it, or even the wisdom to say no. Starting instead with permanent things like God's character, and his intentions to to glorify himself has turned out better (laughs) instead of using my imagination to think wow what else could I be doing if this was not the case and that's that's been really helpful so I I would say to a person struggling with with questions like that if you're struggling with questions like that to just flip it around in your mind and and think what kind of questions should I be asking should they be God-centered instead of me-centered? Even the me-centered questions that sound holy, like what kind of ministry could I be doing if mm-hmm. I didn't have this or that limitation? It's still centered on me. So mm-hmm. if Jesus has given me something to do, help and serve Dave, then don't I want to do what Jesus wants? So starting with, mm-hmm. with God first instead of me. And I think we see that right? We, even with Paul. Sometimes I, I once thought, if Paul didn't have that thorn in the flesh and Paul hadn't gone through the suffering, what could his ministry been like? But it's really the wrong question. It's not that Paul was able to do what he did in spite of the thorn in his flesh and his suffering, but it's what God used him to do through the thorn mm-hmm. in his flesh and through his his suffering. And so I think I think that's the right perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that our suffering, whether it's caring for someone or the actual pain of it, is is ordained by God for us and for our good and for like that is the best ministry that God has given us. So what about times for yourself or do you even do you think that way Gloria like 
hey, I, I want some me time, which I think, you know, in our world, everybody's asking for that. Like, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that. That's so hard because you've got you've got that that urge from all fronts, right? Mm-hmm. The voice inside that says, I can't do this anymore. Why can't I just be by myself, me, nobody ask anything of me, everyone leave me alone. And then even well-meaning people like, you know what you need? You need to get alone and go away for a week. That's what you need is some me time. And maybe in some doses and in some circumstances, that is super helpful advice and that people, caregivers need to take advantage of those opportunities when they can do them. I think that that could be so life-giving to someone as they're pouring their life out to care for someone to take that me time and, and let the Lord minister to you through a variety of means, whether that's somebody who is taking some of the responsibilities from you or someone who's serving alongside you in those responsibilities. There's various ways that you can be refreshed by, by that kind of time. I have found it difficult over the years to let some responsibilities go to others because of just technical things and even personal preferences. But what I found most helpful instead of meditating on how I can't have something or I can't do something is to see how God has met me in the middle of things. Mm. His grace is sufficient for me, even if I don't get to sleep in. Yeah. Or you know, fill in the blank with, even if I don't get this thing that I think will be my refuge, my refreshment, even if I don't get those things, or even if an opportunity for someone to help me falls through, or turns out to be not so helpful, even if that doesn't work, how has God's grace been sufficient for me has been a much healthier thing for me to meditate on. Mm. Mm. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Because I mean, there are people that can take time for me time, and there's situations where you can't, and it doesn't mean that you can't rest in the Lord even when you can't physically sleep in or have a day off or whatever that looks like. So yeah, it just makes us more intentional really to to press into the Lord rather than the things of the world for relaxation. So given all that we've talked about of what you've been through, when you first started ministry and even now, do you ever say we are giving our lives up for the gospel? Like we I've given up everything. We're doing this ministry. Like, God, why did you bring suffering into our lives? Like, weren't we doing enough? I think I might have asked that when we first got here and started experiencing great adversity. I think the Lord just needed to winnow all of the prosperity gospel out of me. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) If I'm doing these things for the Lord, then they will go well. And this will go well for me. I think I think I just needed to have that totally shattered in my head that if I'm in the Lord's will, that things will be great. I think I had a question like that. Yeah. 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 I think we've seen maybe the beginning, maybe I similarly had the, had the same kind of questions. But over time, I think we've seen how God's used our suffering in the lives of others, both obviously kind of, I think it's like Corinthians 1, but we, we can minister to others out of the comfort that we've received from the Lord. And I think in the variety of cultures that we minister here in the Middle East, the prosperity gospel certainly is is everywhere, wherever there is any signs of, of Christianity. And so seeing 
the, the senior pastor of a church and someone from the West and someone who is up there preaching and leading, someone who went to seminary, someone who loves Jesus and is disabled and has pain and God's not healing. I think that's had, I haven't suffered perfectly and I've struggled with sin and I've struggled with just my own flesh and I've struggled, you know, in a variety of areas. But I think seeing a pastor suffer, I think because there's this belief Certainly prosperity gospel, but also just, oh, the pastor is close to God, even closer to God. God should certainly hear my prayers. And of course, we know that's not that's not true. That's not right. We all, as Christians, are a priesthood of all believers. But I think that visual picture, I think, to our church has really impacted them probably more than some strong, prideful pastor would have. Um, and so I think we see God's kindness in that. I think now we do pray, though, for God to, to heal me. We think, uh, how amazing would his glory go forth with, with healing. I think God has glorified himself through pain and through suffering. We also think God can do that through healing. And he's healed some. And so the question is, why hasn't he healed me? I don't, we, we obviously have no answer to that, but we pray every night before we go to sleep. And we, we pray, one of the things we pray for is we pray, we, we pray for healing. And I think it'd be amazing to see that and why he hasn't yet, or maybe, you know, he won't in this earthly life. We press on knowing that in eternity, which is far longer then this short life, the pain in my arms won't be won't be an issue. Yeah, I love that you continually pray for healing because I think, you know, s- some Christians fall into one of two camps. It's either, you know, God is going to heal you if you have the faith. And then the other is God's not going to heal us physically. You know, we just need to press on and just sort of the both and we can pray for healing and we can find contentment in where we are. And I think that's a great model for anyone who is struggling with any kind of illness or situation, just praying that God would deliver and yet at the same time sort of accepting where God puts us. So I would love to know, what do you know about God through this pain and this situation that you didn't know before? I think it has driven both of us to a radical dependence and faith that he would carry us through the day. So clearly, I think big picture wise, I think deep down we knew that God was going to be the one who was going to have to plant churches. But I think living out, sometimes in the flesh, day to day, now looking at my calendar the night before, waking up, just getting through the day needed to depend upon the Lord. Meeting by meeting, hour by hour, day by day, trip by trip, sermon by sermon, I think he's, I guess, humbled. I feel like he's humbled us in such a way that we've had to learn that, no, God is actually sovereign over everything and anything good that comes about would be through him. So I think humility, I think dependence, we've talked a little bit about those already, but I think maybe more so just for every, every aspect of our lives. So, you know, we're praying for our kids' spiritual lives. We're praying for our extended family and health issues. We're praying for various issues in the church and struggles in the church. And just, I think with everything, we've learned that on our own, we might think we have answers, but we just have to go to the Lord. So I think dependence in prayer, I think as well, I would love to, I think there's, there's, you never pray enough and you always want to be closer to the Lord, but I think it's drawn me closer to the Lord in prayer. It's been wonderful talking to both of you. What role has suffering sort of played in your marriage? Like where has it strengthened it and where, what have been the struggles for you both? Yeah. So Dave's pain started really affecting him, I think about three years after we were married. I like to, to reminisce on some of the dates we went on, which were mostly centered around sports. 
I did know. do quite a bit of sports <laughs> together. He tried to teach me how to play tennis and failed. Didn't quite work. Sports <laughs> that involved a moving object were yeah, not your best. I, I'm <laughs> a great sports ball. But Dave had a long, enjoyed a long childhood career of, of all kinds of sports and excellence in sports. And we had so much fun. Remember one time we got, I don't know, was it a dinghy? Do you call that? Or some kind a little of, rubber a, boat. A rubber boat that we yeah. paddled into the middle of the lake with Chick-fil-A. Was it? Was that July 4th? I don't know. So I think we went, went out with Chick-fil-A and, and, a, and a rubber boat that we bought. Yeah. So I mean, we used to really enjoy having a lot of fun like that. I think, yeah. And, and Dave had such a high capacity and energy, tons of energy. He could wake up super early and go a thousand miles an hour and stay awake late and get all of those things done in a day and still have energy for the next day. And then with his pain and suffering, slowly those things about Dave's personality would change and about his activity would change. And so we discovered in our marriage that our marriage isn't based on our personality types or the things that we enjoy doing together. Our marriage is based on a covenant we made before God, promises that we made to be with each other, support one another, love one another as Christ loves the church. And those promises are the ones that have kept our marriage. We've had to find other things to do. Now we eat. We like eating, <laughs> like talking. Yeah, we, no, no, no tennis no. together, but we... we you we, can watch tennis. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and and I take the kids sometimes, but yeah. to, to for them to play or for them to watch. But yeah, I think we've I think it's drawn us closer to dependence on him in prayer. But then I think closer as well, friends, it binds us together because they really can't leave without me. So I can't leave the house. I can't usually get ready for bed. I can't get dressed in the morning. So so there is this unique thing. We can't really be yeah. mad at each other, angry at each other. We we need to re resolve conflict fast. I mean, we are together during those key moments in the day. And, and so I think that's God's, God's grace and God's kindness, per, perhaps protecting us from something by, by kind of bonding us. Weaving together multiple times throughout our day, practically, where we interact with each other and talk and communicate all the time. We don't, I mean, by God's grace and kindness, we haven't struggled with the, the ships in the night kind of phenomenon. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's hard. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking from experience. Like if I'm mad at my husband Joel a little bit, like he said something, and then all of a sudden I need a glass of water. It's like, oh, yeah. wow, I got I to gotta yeah. work this out because I don't want him to feel used. Like, hey, get me the water. So it really does make you keep short accounts because yeah. you can't just walk away. That's yeah. a great way to put it. It, it's true. It's true. It, yeah. It, yeah. And, you know, I come home, if I come home from an elder meeting or come home from some meeting late or ministry late, I need I need help changing. I mean, Gloria maybe has, has gone to sleep, but I need, I need to wake her up. And so even then, it's just, we, we end the day together in some way. And uh, yes, yeah, so short accounts, that is a good way of, of putting it. Yeah. You cannot let the sun go down on your anger in that situation because you Literally. need help. And, and yeah, that is a grace. You know, I love what you said, Gloria, that some people sort of pass like ships in the night, but with dependence, you cannot do that. You know, you can't give somebody the cold shoulder when you're asking them for help. And so you have to talk about everything. Yeah. 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 And that really is a gift, although people wouldn't see it that way. But but it really is drawing you close. And so I'd love to know what is what what do you guys do for fun now? What you know, you mentioned food. I'm a foodie. So but 
Yeah, I think humor and laughter is important. And I see that in your marriage and just would love to hear more about that. Yeah, I think certainly laughing about life and even laughing about not that we laugh about suffering, but just sometimes, you know, it is kind of funny. You're buttoning my shirt and we're it's just it's not normal, but we can kind of kind of just laugh at that. I think taking walks together. So, you know, I'd like to do more. We took a nice walk yesterday. Uh, thankfully, I'm able to walk. I have some pain in my legs, but in general, walking is, is, is a helpful thing. So take some walks around the neighborhood. We like to sit. So behind it, you see a blue chair right right behind us. The video, you know, we, there's another chair on the other side there, and we like to sit and talk together. So walking, talking, we do like eating. And so not fancy food, but but cheeseburgers. Yes. We love cheeseburgers. So that's a confession, I guess. And we live in the Middle East, so lots of good food out here. But I think cheeseburgers are near the top for both of us. So uh, we, like, we like eating together, talking, walking, being with our kids, just being together as a family. Our kids started, this has been really fun. And during the pandemic, everything else shut down in Dubai, but the Dubai Little League stayed open. And we had never played, they had never played baseball or softball before, but our kids, we signed them up without their consent and they were not thrilled and they loved it. And all of them loved it. So we have four kids, all of them play. And so this last year I became kind of a head coach and I started, I can't physically do it. So I need help. I can't physically hit the baseballs and things, but I coached the kids, all of them actually which was a delight. So for fun for us was on the baseball field in the Middle East, which we never would have expected. And this, so this, that's about two and a half years in to just kind of taking us to a third place, a place where we could meet non-believers, build relationships, but a place where we could be with the kids outside. And while I can't, I, I dream about the day that I could throw the baseball with the kids, I can at least coach them. And so one thing that over the years I struggled with was I was depressed. And so I just kind of pulled away from, from almost everything rather than doing what I'm able to do. And so I would, because I couldn't play baseball and play catch with my kids and, and laugh and have a good time playing sports, I would just not do anything. But what I found out is well, I might not be able to play, but we can, I can coach and we can have some, some, some good fun times as a family doing that. So yeah, lots of laughter along the way. And God's been really, really sweet to allow us to, to have those moments. Oh, that's great. So do you live with just one, two more questions. Do you live with constant pain? Like as we're talking right now, is your body sort of hurting? Yeah, a hundred percent of the time. And it's a, it's a burning pain that that's kind of starts from the right above my elbow down to the, my little fingers and both of my, both of my hands, the worst pain is around my elbows and my forearms. And it's, it's, it's a burning pain. So it, it's tough to explain nerve pain sometimes, but it's, the ulnar nerve, mine has been moved a couple times, but it's the basically your funny bone. And so I think the best way to explain it is if you hit your funny bone against something, you feel that that terrible pain for a few seconds. It, it's not, I would say my constant pain is maybe five seconds into that, that pain. So obviously no one could probably live with that first second of the funny bone pain, but a few seconds in you feel that burning pain. And so mine would be constant in both of my arms and it hasn't improved. So it's the disability plus the pain. I think that combo, every once in a while I pray, Lord, just take one of those away, but they're both there and it is constant. It does fluctuate some. And so if I bump my elbows or if I do too much and overexert myself, it can get worse. But in general, it's, it's relatively steady and it's, you know, I don't know what you put on the pain scale, but it feels like an eight probably normally, like it's just, it's there. And some good days might be a seven, bad days are a nine or a 10, but, uh, but yeah, we live with it constantly. Yeah. I mean, I feel like 
I deal with combination of pain and disability too. And disability is really hard, but you can live with that a little more than pain interrupts everything in your life and what you think. And, you know, it's a little harder to come to terms with sometimes because it just is so present in front of you. So I can only imagine how hard it is to press through that, especially on days when it's a nine or a 10 and you still are a pastor and you still have people, you know, depending on you. So, well, that's something we can all be praying for you about as, you know, the listeners hear about this. So my last question is, this podcast is called Desperate for Hope. And so I love to ask guests, where have you found hope one practical way when you were desperate for it? And I just love to hear from both of you. Yes. Second uh, Corinthians. Mm. Uh, he is, Paul is talking about grace extending to more and more people through challenging circumstances. And he says in Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That the description of light and momentary really helps me when I am desperate for hope mm. to air it yeah. to wow. what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say two things. Really. The first thing is just almost the same. So I'll, I'll add one, but it's just that eternal perspective thinking through the end of revelation, no more tears, no more pain and the death of death in the death of Christ. I mean, we, there's no, no more, no more dying. And so I think when we keep that eternal perspective in front of us, that, that definitely helps. And so one way we do that, and that's, that's really, I guess, my addition to what you just said is, and this would be my encouragement to anybody listening who struggles with pain, depression, discouragement is to stay in community where you're mm. going to hear that. And I think oftentimes when we struggle with disability, depression, pain, we sometimes pull out of community or pull out of the church, or maybe we're not as attentive to even just corporate worship or we're, we're not, you know, because we're hurting lots of times, like just the pain is so much. And I just would yeah. want to encourage those listening to, to press into community and, and to not stay out. I know for me, I need the church as much as anybody else. I'm, I'm a pastor. I need to hear, I need to sit under the preached word. I need to have friends remind me of the truth. I need friends to point me to Jesus. I need friends to remind me of eternity, remind me of heaven. I need friends to, to pray for me, to pray with me. And so I think, I think the eternal perspective remembering what God says in his word and his promises, the promises made in the Old Testament are promises kept in the New Testament. I need to be reminded of that in his word mm. and from the communion of saints at the church. And, and, and that's, that's really, by God's grace, how he sustained us these years. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Just lastly, is there anything that you would like to say that I didn't ask you? No, I don't think so. I think, I think just, again, there is hope. And I love that, you know, the, the podcast Desperate for Hope. I think we do feel desperate at times in our pain or a struggle or a conflict. I mean, everybody, everybody struggles with pain and suffering in some way or a trial. Or if you haven't, you know, I think D.A. Carson said, if you haven't suffered, you know, you will suffer one day. Like it is it's coming in some way, some form, or some fashion. And I think to, to just be ready for it and to, and to know that yeah, our hope only comes in Jesus. His resurrection changes everything. His resurrection changes our lives. His resurrection gives us hope. 
And so when we're desperate for hope, we can look to Jesus because he isn't in the grave. He didn't stay dead. But on the third day, he rose triumphantly over death, proving that his death was sufficient to cover our sins. And his death was sufficient to defeat death and Satan. And his death and resurrection was sufficient to one day carry us into eternal life. And so maybe that's just a final word more than an answer. But as we're desperate for hope, our hope is only found in Jesus, the risen one who died and conquered death for us. Amen. What a what a great way to end this. So thank you so much, both of you, for being on this podcast. I have just learned so much from you and just appreciate your candidness. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for having us. Really appreciated it. Thanks for listening to the Desperate for Hope podcast. This podcast is being released with my upcoming Bible study, Desperate for Hope questions we ask God in suffering, loss, and longing, in which I explore the questions that many of us have asked God in our pain. To learn more about this study, other resources, and my guests, visit my website at vanitha.com and check out the show notes. If you enjoyed listening to this show, please consider rating it and subscribe so you can get new episodes as soon as they come out. 